with you this morning. We're going to finish off Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, Lord. You are a rock, crucified, risen, reigning, coming again, Redeemer. Bless you, Father. And all God's people said, Amen. So when you're writing a heartfelt letter to someone that you care about and love very much, as you get to the end of the letter, you want to leave them with... Um, most powerful, heartfelt thing on your, on your heart, right? You want to leave with the zinger. You want to close it up with the stuff that's the most important thing. I really feel like Paul is doing that as he closes this first letter to Timothy. So Paul created, he, he spent time as a missionary in Ephesus, this, uh, this huge, bustling, pagan city where they were all sold out to the, the worship of Artemis, this idol. Uh, as he leaves after two or three years of ministry, there is a strong Christian presence uh, in the congregation there, and it grows and grows. After Paul leaves, the, the Christian church grows in Ephesus, and a couple, three decades later, the city is predominantly Christian, and the worship of Artemis is almost completely done. So everybody say glory, right? So God wins. But in this time, after Paul leaves, he goes on to plant another congregation. He leaves Timothy behind, young pastor, to keep on and continue to nurture the congregation and grow it. Now, it's not a congregation that meets in a building like this, right? It was a whole bunch of house churches spread all over Ephesus. And it was Timothy's job to try and shepherd all those different house churches through the city. And we've seen Paul talking about in this letter... Be careful of false teachers. Be working to present the gospel. Paul gave a lot of instructions about how to, how to do things well in the life of the congregation, how to raise up uh, strong and trustworthy leaders. Don't grab people who are brand new believers because that's going to lead to uh, problems on occasion. So lots of practical instructions for him. Now he's going to finish out this, uh, this letter to Timothy with a couple of uh, foundational things to focus on. You say, well, this is a couple thousand years ago as to Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus. What's it have to do with me? It has an awful lot to do. This, the closing of this letter might be something I would write to a young person going off to college. might be something I would write to somebody who's going away from home or going to a place where they need to start from scratch. They don't have friends and support network there. I tell you what, the way things are going in our culture today I would write something like this letter to kindergartners going to public school. Okay? We used to say, boy, you've got to be careful when you go to college because there's things that they'll teach you there that you've know, you got to be careful. And then we say, well, you know, high school, you've got to be careful. Literally, people, it's in public schools, it's kindergarten, preschool, whatever. Um, so here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1, kind of finishing off a thought from, from last uh, Sunday's chapter 5 in Timothy, but segueing into a new, new area. So Paul starts here, chapter 6, verse 1, and writes to Timothy, Let all who are under a yoke as bond servants, bond slaves, slaves, it depends on the um, translation a little bit, but one thing to know about the Roman Empire in this time, historians um, are in agreement that there were tons and tons of slaves. 
uh, maybe more than half of the population was in some form of slavery, mostly in uh, economic slavery. So nowadays in America, if you, ra you rack up a whole bunch of debt, you pretty much just declare bankruptcy and walk away, right? Not so in the Roman Empire in this time frame. You rack up a bunch of debt, you can't pay your debts, okay, then whoever you owe the most debt to, you are become a slave to them until you pay off your debt, literally. And so over half of the empire was in one form of slavery or another. Mostly economic, sometimes in literally taking you from your country and, you know, in warfare and stuff, but mostly economic slaves. So Paul says, let all who are under a yoke of a yoke as bondservants, as slaves, regard their own masters as, say it with me, worthy of all honor. See if that'll fly in America today. Uh, of course, we don't have slavery in the sense that they're talking about here, but whoever your boss is, whether he's a believer, she's a believer or not, consider them, regard them as worthy of all honor. For what purpose, Paul? So that... The name of God and the teaching may not be reviled, so that wherever Christians are at, wherever they're at in society, wherever they're at in the workplace, we ought to be known as hardworking, show up on time, do our best job, and honor our bosses. That would stand out today, wouldn't it, in our culture? And that's what, that's what Paul says. We ought to stand out as wonderful citizens, wonderful employees, because we are working, he says elsewhere, as though our boss were Jesus himself. Everybody say, wow, glory. Now, your students in school, you've got favorite teachers, you've got teachers you don't like so much, it doesn't matter. Every single teacher, you do your best for them as if your teacher is Jesus in the classroom. So that you can give a witness to your teachers as to who your Lord and Savior is. Wow. That's a practical, everyday opportunity to live your faith. So that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Verse 2. Those who have believing masters, so your boss is a believer, must not be disrespectful on the, on the ground that they are brothers. So it's like, so your boss is a believer? Well, I don't have to, do so. I don't have to work so hard to be a witness to him because he's already a believer. Paul says, no, 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 no. It's the opposite, actually. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. So your boss is a believer. He says, do even more to be a blessing to them because they're a brother and sister in Christ. So Paul says, teach and urge these things. So Paul mentions this three or four times through the letter. What should the, the teaching and the preaching in the, the body of Christ in the congregation be like? Should it be Soft, fuzzy dice, and you might want to consider this. You might want to think about this. What should the teaching and the preaching be like? It ought to be clear, direct, and full of truth, and it ought to be urgent. It ought to be direct. It ought to be saying, if you want to go to heaven, there is one way, and that's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It should not be, God loves you just the way that you, where you are, act however you want to, and we'll all get there. That's not the gospel. So over and over and over in his letters, Paul says, urge, command, direct, encourage. He's always very forthright. This stuff matters, right? It matters most of all. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's be clear about it and let's be urgent about it. Teach and urge these things. Verse 3. 
If anyone teaches a different doctrine, does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Now, I can attest to this. I went down to my former, my alma mater, my college. I graduated from Morningside College. It's now Morningside University. I didn't everybody. Down in Sioux City. Um, that's where I got my four-year degree and so forth. I went back down there for, I was on a panel for creation, evolution, debate kind of thing. For three or four years, my dad got me the gig. So I got to go down and be a part of the panel. And the panel was fascinating. So they had a conservative, Bible-believing pastor like me. They had a liberal uh, pastor, and they had a liberal rabbi. And we were on the panel talking about creation in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and evolution. Fascinating time. But I can attest to the truth of this. When you don't follow the, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, it's a, one of the big reasons for it is because you're puffed up with conceit and you understand nothing. I was sitting to guys who were full of themselves, who were excited about their degrees from the institution they'd gotten it from. They would quote, well, so-and-so says in this book. I'm like, who is that? I've never heard the name. I don't care what he says. This is what we care what it, what, what it says. But puffed up, uh, treated me like I was a bonehead bumpkin from the sticks. I showed them science. They didn't want to hear any of that stuff. They were puffed up with conceit, and they understood nothing. When I showed them you can't reject Genesis 1, 2, and 3 because Jesus quoted from it and expected everybody to know it was the word of God, that just right over their heads. When I said the whole Bible is based on the idea, the thought, the truth, that death happened because of sin and not because of billions of years of evolution, right over their heads. They understood nothing. So Paul nails it. it so is that a new thing? Is that, are we struggling with new problems, new evil? New, new wickedness. It's not new, people. The human condition hasn't changed since Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. So, so this word is still vibrant and active, and it speaks to us today. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving. Say that word with me. Craving. Now, you can have a craving for ice cream, and that's okay. But this is a craving in a really negative fashion. It's an ongoing, every day, it's like obsession is closer to the word, okay? We understand obsession is not a good thing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Here we go. What's the, probably the biggest problem in American Christianity among our radio, not so much radio, but especially TV preachers and so forth and so on. What kind of houses do these people live in? Live in? What kind of car, how many garages do they have? How many cars do they have in them? How big is their pool in the backyard? How many jets do they own? You just go on and on. You're just like, what in the world? There, it's obvious there's a craving for wealth. And that's their purpose behind their preaching and teaching. They're preaching prosperity and gospel. Why? Because the more you give to them, the sweeter their physical life becomes. Folks, it's, it's, it's obvious and it's out there. It's amazing. It's, a, it's depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. 
imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6. But godliness, say it verse 6 with me. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, walking with Jesus, with contentment in the physical realm, that, that's, that's, a wonderful, that's a wonderful life. It's not about comparing my house to anybody else's house or my car to anybody else's car. That's where we start getting in trouble. That's where craving begins. No. Contentment is, is God providing what I need for my day, my life today? Then walking with Jesus and his providing I am content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world. We cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have, say this with verse 8. This is so, so counterculture. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Just, Just rest in that for a second. Soak in it. You've got food. You've got clothing. You got a vehicle. I don't know if you drove a tractor here or an ATV or whatever. You got, a ve- you got here. The, the craving that comes from the devil and our own flesh, sometimes we need to recognize that and tell it to back off in Jesus' name. Folks, this morning, just rest in contentment how God has taken care of you. It's okay. If we have food and clothing with these, we'll be content. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. That word destruction there um, points to eternal destruction. So it says, when we desire to be rich, it opens up a door to a whole mess. Problem, a pit. And that pit sometimes leads to losing salvation, walking away from eternity. Just visiting with someone this morning, we are talking about what happens when, um, when matriarch, patriarch passes away and there's a state to be divvied up among the family. Even, even wonderful, godly families we've seen sometimes blow up in that situation. Because what happens? Even if you're content in that moment when the person passes away and you start seeing dollar signs, what happens? The flesh rises up. The desire for money and possessions and stuff and land rises up. and it's a, It can be a monster. And so when you're coming into those situations, it's really good for your, we ourselves. My dad's going to be 92. My mom's 87. There's not millions there, but there's going to be an inheritance. There's four of us siblings. We're all walking with Jesus, but we're mindful. I'm mindful. I'm praying about it. Lord, when the moment comes, we are going to choose to be content. Verse 10, and this is a verse that the unbelievers get messed up like crazy. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It often gets quoted as love of money, that money is the root of all evils. That's completely botched. 
the love of money is a root. There's other roots of evil. This is one of them. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It just spreads and, it, and it's so root, right? It goes deep and it spreads out and wow, it shows itself in different ugly ways. He says, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now, I've made a couple of comments about once saved, always saved, and how I'm like, you know, be careful with that. And uh, here's something that, that speaks into that a little bit, too. Once saved, always saved, the passages that we quote when we want to stand on that, uh, they all talk about how God is faithful, we can't be snatched from God's hand. All those, those are all awesomely true. I can't lose my salvation from the God into things. He will not take my salvation from me. The passages that make us kind of go, hmm, about once saved, always saved, are passages like this, where it talks about us walking away from the salvation given to us in Christ. So what does Paul say here? Some have wandered away from the faith. Elsewhere, Paul describes it as, in chapter 1 in this letter, he says, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Chapter 4, he says, some have departed from the faith. Um, in verse 10, he says, wandered away from the faith. Verse 21, he's going to say, swerved from the faith. You look at all those verses, and there are more in his letters throughout the New Testament. It makes it really clear. You and I, look, look at the, the parable of the sower. What does it say? People get saved in the moment, and then cares of life, money, worries, uh, distractions, pressures from other people, take them away. So, so here's the thing. Kid talk time. Amen? You got to hang on to who? How often? All the time. Every day. Hang on to Him. What might, what might draw you away from Jesus? Riches. What might draw you away from Jesus? False teaching. The desire to be, well, I'm a doctor of theology and I really understand a lot more about the Bible than you do and I understand how it's not really perfectly true and Jonah and the whale, seriously, that's a myth and if you really had enough smarts, you would understand and you would follow me as I teach you the things about the things of God. Don't get me started. Your wisdom is foolishness before the Lord. And it leads to error and evil, and it drives people away from the Jesus Christ who saves on the cross. So in the middle of this, Paul says it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Verse 11. So he's going to flip the coin. He says, here's the thing for you, Timothy. Timothy, heads up. I've warned you about these things. I've warned you about money. I've warned you about false teachers who, who want to get full of themselves and want people to think that they're the smartest guy on the planet. He says, I've warned you about them. Here's how you handle it, Timothy. Here's how you and I handle it. Here's how we train up our children to handle it. Verse 11. But as for you, O man of God, O man who follows Jesus, O man who's given his life to the Lord Jesus Christ, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Don't entertain them. Don't sit down around the table and, and, and consider and ponder them and don't fall into the trap with them. Flee these things. On the flip side, here's what you do in a positive direction. Pursue 
Pursue righteousness. Pursue godliness. Pursue faith. Pursue love, love of God and love of neighbor. Pursue steadfastness. So if you're here this morning and you realize, you know what, I've really, I've gotten out of the, I haven't been doing my devotions much at all lately. Uh, my prayer life has really kind of dropped off a cliff. If you're realizing those things here, this is a wake-up call for you. Pursue steadfastness. Come back to it. Hang on to Jesus, grab on to Jesus, and have a firm grip on your walk with him, your love for him, and your devotion to him. Amen? Pursue him. Hang on to him. Pursue steadfastness. Pursue gentleness. That kind of pops up out of almost nowhere, doesn't it? Do we need to be focused on pursuing gentleness in our culture today? Wow! What are, what are both sides of the media spectrum trying to do to you every single day? Make you angry. Make you hate people. Make you just rage against the other side. What, is, what does God say? Pursue gentleness. Pursue love of your neighbor. Pursue love even of your enemies. Pray for those people. Can you feel the peace come with that as we hear the word of God? Over against the raging of the, of the devil? Pursue gentleness. Verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Is it easy to hang on to Jesus in these times? Is it easy to be gentle? Is it easy to pursue steadfastness or any of these things? It's a fight. It's a battle. It's a daily thing. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Grab a hold of it, Timothy, and never let go. Don't let anyone pry your fingers away or entice your fingers to lose grip. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. You know what's fascinating about that? You go back to Jesus before Pontius Pilate, Jesus said one sentence to him. I looked in every single gospel. I was like, what was Jesus' confession to Pilate? Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. That was his confession. You got it right. That was it. And Paul, I shouldn't say that was it. That was his confession. Paul lifts it up. He says, you gave testimony, Timothy, that Jesus Christ was your Lord. Jesus gave testimony before Pilate. I am the king of the Jews. You've said so. Jesus made the good confession. Verse 14. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to stop you for a second. Say, remember, remember how I told you before, a couple, a few Sundays ago, that when you read Paul's letters, every now and then he's cruising along in his letter, and then he'll mention something about God, and then all of a sudden he's just like, time to stop, drop, and praise. He mentions something about God, and all of a sudden praise rises up in him. In the middle of the letter, he's just like, for a moment, let's just worship, shall we? And he spews out some wonderful stuff about God. Here's what happens right here. He says, um, free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he writes that, and he's like, oh. So he stops, and he starts thinking about when Jesus is going to appear in the clouds, and worship breaks out. Verse 15, 
which Jesus will display at the proper time. Does he know when to come? Does the Father know when to send him? Oh yeah, he knows the perfect time, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of all the kings, Lord of all the lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. And all God's people shouted, Amen! He just had to stop dropping praise. <laughs> Goosebumps. I just love this about Paul. Verse 17, he comes back down from the praises. Okay, let's finish the letter. As for the rich, money-wise, you could, having money isn't a sin, amen? Okay, having money is not a sin. He says, as for the rich in this present age, the rich believers who are following Jesus, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to throw their weight around or think they're any better than anybody else because they got more money. That's not how God judges. God judges by humble heart and servanthood. Amen? Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Are we supposed to enjoy the money God gives us? Yes, please. Please do. But understand that your riches are uncertain. You might not have them tomorrow. Don't put your hope on them. Verse 18. Rich people, rich Christians are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves in heaven as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. That truly life is talking about Life, indeed, is talking about eternity. If God has blessed you with lots of money, true riches here, he says don't depend on it. Be giving it away. Be investing it in others, in kingdom. You know, be blessing others with it. And as you do that, you're actually laying up treasure for yourself in heaven, which is true, blessed, rich life. Say glory to God. Verse 20. O Timothy, say this with me, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Sounds like there's a battle going on, doesn't it? Sounds like there's a fight. What did Paul say? Fight the good fight. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. I'm not kidding. There are churches putting rainbow banners on front of their doors and stuff and Utter nonsense, not biblical Christianity. That's not the God of the Bible. Should we have conversation with them as God gives up? Yes, we should. Don't pursue conversation. Um, it says avoid the irreverent babble and the contradictions with falsely called knowledge. Don't get sucked into that vortex. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So he sum to summarize this whole letter to bring it down. <clears throat> Two C words keep popping up in here. Cravings versus contentment. We have fleshly cravings for money, for power, for 
for people to think that we're smarter than other people, for people to think that I'm the only one who really understands the Bible, you need to ask me your questions. Oh, that was in seminary. I hated it then. I hate it today. Bogus. From the pit of the devil. Did, did, did God want to communicate to every single person in a way that they could easily understand and be saved? Come on. For by professing that, some have swerved from the faith. I could tell you seminary stories for days. Love how he ends the letter. Craving versus contentment. He says, Timothy, grace be with you. The love of God sustain you. The love of God uh, keep you. Grace be with you. I want to end uh, that letter to you today, this morning, and say, we're living what Paul was writing to Timothy about. We're right in the thick of it. Say, glory to God. Okay? So we're going to be careful to stay in the Word of God so we can hear the warnings and be be highlighted to us. You know, this morning I'm going, ooh, I've got to be careful. I've been, been falling in love with my, my IRA. I've been falling in love with my bank account here lately. Or I've been desiring it. Or I've been, you know, whatever. All those kinds of things. <sighs> Content to know Jesus, to grow in His Word with Him. Content for what He's blessed me with in life. <sighs> That's where I'm going to stay. And I'm going to rejoice every day in the grace God gives me through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Let's pray. Awesome God, so many things and people and ideas trying to drag us away from Jesus. Trying to make us swerve or depart or walk away. God, we refuse and reject every one of those temptations. Holy Spirit, this morning... Um, show us if there are any cravings in our hearts and minds that are getting out of control or that are starting to take us down a road we should not travel. If so, then right now, Lord Jesus, we confess those cravings, those directions as sin. We confess them as sin. We repent of them. We're going to turn on our heels right now and walk away from them. We're going to come back, Lord Jesus, to you and content, contentment to be uh, in you and all you've provided. Thank you, mighty God. God, we pray for our children, for college students, for everyone who's in a relationship where they're battling for the truth. God, help them to be content in the rock-solid, wonderful truth, the gospel of Scripture. Content in you, Lord Jesus and hanging on you, taking hold of you and hanging on to you no matter what. Bless us, Father. Uh, help us to be hanging on to Jesus until we see you come for us on the clouds and hear the trumpet blast so we're coming home. Bless you, Father, in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and sing about it. It's number 125. Is my name written there? Starts off with, Lord, I care. 
Everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross and victorious out of the tomb, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and keep you in his peace as you rest in contentment in him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.